0: own Bibles are on the screen. Hebrews 11, chapter 8 through 22. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So today our service is a little different. Typically we have a time of congregational prayer. And that time today will occur actually at the end of the sermon, uh, end of our message time. And we'll be praying over what you hear about later. Before I start what is prepared today to kind of go over, I just wanted to share something that's kind of been on my heart. Yesterday was my wife and I our anniversary. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, we were having breakfast and with Josiah, me and my wife, we're having breakfast, and as we're eating, it's good food, and we're enjoying life, and just being happy, and I just, just felt overwhelmed, with just how full, just how full life felt, and in that moment, we were both, as we said our prayer together, as we were praying together, we were just praying, thank you, God, for how full life is, but here's the awesome thing, here's the incredible thing by those who walk by faith, here's the thing that is our reality for those of us who have faith in the unseen, for those of us who know Jesus, is that when we experience those times in our life when life is full, when we experience those good moments, do you guys know what they are? When you taste that bite of great food, when your kid runs up to you and says, Daddy, when you, when you experience the sunset at a beach, when you experience these moments, for us, those of us who have faith, that's just glimpses. That's just a taste of future glory that is ours. That's just a glimpse of a future heavenly reality that is ours. And it points to the goodness of the giver of those gifts. But here's also the flip side when we experience suffering and pain and loss, when we experience physical illness and hurt, when we experience the loss of our loved one, when we experience the loss of a job and security. When we experience the worst this world has to offer, for those of us who have faith, here's what we still have, here's still our reality. Those of us who have still faith that says, there is hope coming, there is a better future coming. We're not going to dwell in that reality. We're going to live in a different one. And for those of us who have faith, then all those sufferings, all the pain has a purpose in shaping us and pointing us to a bigger picture to a greater God and to a bigger promise. So here's the cool thing for those of us who have faith, no matter if the sun is shining or if it's stormy, no matter if you're so full or you're starving, our reality ultimately is incredible glory, amazing hope, and eternal goodness for us. How can we not then by faith in the unseen, be joyful every day. Amen? Amen? This is where we're at here in Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews for since a long time now, it seems like. We've been in Hebrews since the beginning of the year, in the book of Hebrews, and we're finally kind of getting to the end of the book. Chapter 11, so there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews. So it's like, oh, you, some of you are like, yes, we're almost at the end, but we're almost there. The end is nigh, and I hope you've gained so much by this incredible book. And here's where the the audience, the the, the purpose of the author over and over again is speaking to a bunch of young Christians who have been through persecution and suffering, who are currently facing it, and who's gonna actually face even more so in the near future these group of Christians are in this time of suffering, this time of tribulation, this time of difficulty, and they're questioning, uh, it's not as great to be a Christian as I thought it was going to be, right? They almost maybe could feel like there was a bait and switch. I thought life was going to be easy. And can I tell you guys this? If somebody's ever told you that, hey, you become a Christian and all your problems are going to be solved, they were lying to you. If somebody says, hey, become a Christian, then all the stupid decisions you've ever made in life and all the issues that you've ever faced and all the problems going on, that's going to be all wiped away. It doesn't work like that. I'll tell you this. When you become a Christian by faith, you'll still face tribulation. You'll still face sorrow. But here's the difference. You have hope in a better future. You have not just hope, a belief and a trust that that better future is yours. So you can endure anything. Many of these young Christians were persecuted. Some had suffered the plundering of their homes, the imprisonment, and even death. And they were saying this, I don't, why do I have to face this uncertain future? And they might have even been questioning. It seems like those in the Bible, heroes in the Bible, like Noah, his enemies were wiped out, or Moses, the Red Sea happened. I mean, Daniel, the lion's mouth, mouth was shut. Why am I still suffering? Why am I, God, why aren't you rescuing me out of this? And it doesn't matter. Like that's the way it is. And the writer of Hebrews is getting you to this point. He's saying, hey, I want you to know that Jesus is better. Better than everything you've experienced. Better than going back to Mosaic law. Better than going back to those who practiced the law. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the kings. He's better than the emperors. He's better. He's worth more. Because he brings you to God. And that reward, he is our great reward. And he's bringing them to this place where all these people who know this, they know the stories of the heroes of the old. And so he's bringing them to chapter 11. He's saying, guys, guys, let me tell you, the four minute mile has been broken. There are people who run the race. You guys can run the race too. And here's what they did. Their life wasn't perfect. Their life wasn't easy, but they had faith. They believed, and they trusted. They were rescued from, there were some, yes, that were rescued from captivity, but there were others who were sown in too. Yet they all lived great lives. They weren't ruled by life. They ruled their lives. And you can too if you live a life of faith. Last time I preached two weeks ago, we established that faith is believing and trusting. Not just one of those things. Not just believing, but believing and trusting in the person of God and his promises. These great heroes of faith believed and trusted in an active trust. And it was credited to them as Righteousness. Last week, Pastor Danny preached on Noah, and we saw that by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, in the unseen, because there was not a cloud in the sky, he built an ark. We heard from Pastor Danny about this covenant that God gave to Noah, a promise, a contract, and here's what, in essence what that promise was. It's a promise to preserve the stability of nature so that God can work out his redemptive plan. I'll say that again, that's a quote by R.C. Sproul is that it's a promise to preserve the stability of nature so that God can work out his redemptive plan. And the symbol of this promise is a bow. Remember, Daniel was talking about a bow, and how it's, where was the bow pointed? Anybody remember this? Where was the bow pointed? Where? To God, right? The opposite way a covenant should go. It's pointed at God. Now we're looking at Abraham. And Abraham, we see another promise given. Abraham was promised land, descendants that will be a blessing to the nations, and most importantly, Abraham was promised God himself. He says, I will be your great reward. This type of promise, this treaty, this covenant, was often upheld through a ceremony. So this might be a little graphic, so I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. But in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham to cut up various animals, and they lay their pieces side by side with a pathway between the pieces. This seems weird, an odd command. God telling God Abraham to cut up animals and open them up. By the way, just to throw this out there. This, that actually message was actually a message that I heard somebody preach at a wedding. True. I was at a wedding, longest wedding I've ever been to. And two people fainted. Grooms and bridesmaids. Dead serious. I'm not even making that up. And I'm sitting here listening to the pastor preach, and he's preaching about, yeah, and then there were blood, there was guts, and they wa- I'm like, I don't know if the bride okayed this. It was awesome. But... <laughs> and the reason it was preached at a wedding, though, is because a wedding ceremony for us now is actually pretty close kind of to what we're talking about here, what's happening here. It's because when the covenant was made, often a ceremony was accompanying it. Right in the ancient Near East, if a a promise was made, there was like a signing ceremony. There was like a ceremony that said, "This is uh, we're ratifying this promise. We're ratifying this treaty. We're ratifying this covenant." And this is what they would do: they would cut open an animal, right, and they would walk between the pieces, both parties. So if me and Danny were making a covenant agreement with each other that I'll give him ten dollars and he'll give me a book, terrible examples. I just what I came up with. We would walk through this, this, the animals together. And what we're symbolizing by saying is if Danny does not give me the book after I give him his $10, then let him be cut apart. Let him reap the, the punishment of breaking of the covenant, of breaking of the promise. But guys, listen to this. I want you to hear this. This is incredible. It goes perfectly along with why the bow was pointed to God. What happens in Genesis chapter 15? we see a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between not abraham not the weaker one in the party but just the flaming pot which was actually an appearance of god himself symbolized in the flame where he was also symbolized elsewhere in fire anybody know where else in the bible where else moses right and also in exodus right it is actually God himself who is walking through the animals. It is God himself who is saying, I will take the curse. I will take the punishment on myself when this covenant. In other words, I promise, I pledge by my own name, in my own stead, and by my power, to uphold the covenant with Abraham. I want you to hear that. I don't want you to miss that. This promise that God said, I will be your God. And through you, the nations will be blessed. There's a promise that God himself made, but the issue of the typical way a treaty works was a lower, weaker party has to say, okay, well, I'll do all these things. If I fail, then you'll come down in wrath and I'll be split in two. But God himself then said, I'll walk through it. The promises that we hold on to by faith is this, that God himself will be our God. He will be our reward. We will be in relationship with him. And even though when we fail, what God did is he himself walked through. He took the punishment and said, I'm going to keep my promise. Even though you failed in your end of the treaty, I will keep my promise to you. And I'll put the punishment upon myself. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus took upon himself the punishment of the breaking of the treaty and said, "By, because, and through Jesus alone then, do we have assurance that our treaty, our end of the agreement, is being held up because it is Jesus himself who took the punishment. So then our assurance in this treaty, our assurance in this promise, is God himself. And there's nothing that can take that away because there is no force and power in this universe that is more powerful than God. And so if you're here today and you're struggling and you're suffering and you don't know whether or not you can keep this promise or whether or not you don't even know whether or not you can believe and trust in the promises, let me reason with you today and by faith tell you that you can believe and you can trust in the promise because God paid the full penalty and he will hold himself to it. That's our assurance. Not in our own skill, not in our own ability, not in our own goodness. Not in our own sense of, oh man, if I'm just good enough, if I pray enough, if I bow enough, if I give enough. Our assurance is in God alone and in the work of Jesus. can't tell you that changes everything. Can I tell you that when you live by faith like that, faith in that promise is real, promise is held, your future looks totally different, and your reality now is a different reality. I wish we had time, I'll be honest with you, to spend like four sermons on Abraham, because there's so much to cover, you know? But I just want to list out some Im- Cool little points about Abraham that I want you to get because we have something God that I think God wants us to do today a little differently is I want to give examples of faith in action um, through what God did in West Africa. This is not examples of great men. These are I love these guys. Don't get me wrong, but they're nothing special. They're kind of actually not very cool. They're great examples of God using the least of us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I want you to see them as what God does when you move by faith. But first, I want us to look at Abraham and see that Abraham, number one, Abraham left. Left all he knew, left the land that he knew, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Abraham left. I want you to get this. So often, what we want in life is security and certainty. Right? Right? We want to know, hey, where are we going? Here's my 10-year plan. Here's my 15-year plan. Here's my 50-year plan. But God called Abraham to go, and he was able to go, leave everything behind, go to a strange land and a strange place. How and why? Because his certainty wasn't in his circumstances. His certainty wasn't the promises of God. Do you hear that? Abraham left. Two. Abraham lived as a foreigner. He dwelt in a strange place among strange people. Lived as a foreigner. How and why? Because he believed in a city that was coming. He lived as a foreigner because he knew his citizenship was in heaven. He lived as a foreigner because he knew where his home was. Do you guys hear that? Will you live in this place, in this earth, in this life as a foreigner to this earth? Do you get that? Your citizenship is not the fact that you're American. Your identity is not the fact that you're young or old or your job. Who you are is a citizen of heaven. Do you get that? I mean, I'm I'm serious, this changes the way you live. You dwell amongst the people. God called us to dwell amongst the people, to be a blessing to our people, but only because we live in confidence that who our, our true identity, who our real people are, where we belong, is a place that is secured and set for us, and it's coming. That's where we do, that's where we live. And by faith, Abraham and Sarah had a child because he was promised descendants to bless the nations. I mean. It says here in Hebrews, I love how it says this, he was close to death, right? It's kind of like, oh, that's just kind of wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, man, like, when you talk about somebody like, that person, that person's close to death, that's kind of a mean way of saying what that person's age was. But this is what they, the Bible said, this person, Abraham was close to death, but by faith he said, I'm still going to have this child. Yeah. Guys, there are things in life that we see, think are impossible. But when we have the assurance of the one thing that seems so radical that that could actually be ours, identity, love, being known, being loved, and having purpose, then nothing is impossible. And last, Abraham, by faith, offered. He offered the most precious thing to him. He offered his son. He offered everything, everything that was of value. He even said to God earlier, he said, God, you're going to bless me. That's all well and good. I'm going to have land. That's well and good. But what worth is it if I, have, I don't have any descendants and God's not going to give it to you? You're going to bless the nations through it. And here's what Abraham said. Then this one thing that he valued, his son, he said, all right, God, he's yours. Because he reasoned. Hear this. I love it. Because he reasoned that even God can raise him from the dead. Now, mind you, this is not a proponent. Do not offer a child in sacrifice. Hear this very well, all of you. If you hear a voice telling you to offer your child in sacrifice, no. Just gonna say it right now, no, it's not God. Here's why, I'll tell you why. Because the Bible, we use the Bible, anything that we feel God is telling us, you bring it up to the Bible. The rest of the Bible says not to do that, so don't do it. But what happened in the ancient Near East at the time, that was a common practice. It was actually a common practice to offer human sacrifices for rain, for fertility, for crops. And Abraham, in this process, saying, this is not right, this doesn't seem right, but God, if you're telling me to do this, I'll do this because I reason, because I believe and I trust that you said through this boy that descendants will bless the nations. So he reasoned and said, God can even bring him back to life. My God is more, more powerful than even death itself. And so Abraham was willing to offer, guys, what this is telling you is by faith he offered. Guys, by faith, do you reason that God can even bring life, dead back to life? Do you reason by faith that whatever it is that God's calling you to offer, he's more powerful to redeem. He's more powerful to restore to life. He's more powerful to use to bless the nations. Do you hear that? You live and move by faith because we believe in God and we trust in his promises. We are assured through his promises and that shapes and moves the way you live this is called the hall of faith because these are examples of men and women of faith who lived not not actually seeing um, the future reality yet but believing in the promises of god and they moved and they lived. Guys, some of them, yes, they were taken out of the lion's den. Some of them were rescued and some of them were placed in high positions, but some of them were sewn into, some of them were thrown to animals, some of them had to hide in the world, some of them suffered. But they all lived by faith because they all have believed in the better promise that God's given us. And they are examples for us. Not people who are out of reach. They're not heroes because they're so much better than us. Like I said, we're gonna have, I'm going to hear examples of the least of us. How God used them. So I'm going to let them actually speak now and share with us. Pastor Josh is going to first set the, the background setting for what um, God has been doing.